You've tuned in to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated with Pete Sampson of The Athletic. It's Monday, April 27th. We are back in podcast mode for the first time in a little while here uh, as we plow through April, anticipating what's going to happen with Notre Dame, college football. We'll have a better idea on May 15th, which is a target day for Notre Dame. We'll talk about that here in segment one, but let's start with uh, the Notre Dame uh, NFL draft. Five players uh, chosen within the top 150 picks, which is the third time in seven years that Brian Kelly's uh, prospects have done that, have been picked in the top 50. And something that hadn't been done since 1997, which was actually Lou Holtz's last draft class. So it was a good day for Notre Dame, or I should say a good weekend. Cole Komet, second round of the Bears. Chase Claypool, second round of the Steelers. Julian O'Quara, third round of the Lions. Fourth round, Troy Pride Jr. to the Panthers. And then Khaled Kareem goes to the Bengals with 147th pick overall, the first of the fifth round. And Alohi Gilman added as the sixth draft pick for the Irish. Guys, your thoughts on Notre Dame in the NFL draft? I think it's not a crazy coincidence that 1997 was the last time. <laughs> no, I, and I first saw we that. I just had to guess a year. We just said, I don't know, 1997. Right. I first saw that in 97. It's like, oh, Davey's first year. No. Yeah. Davey's first year coaching, but it was still Lou Holtz's draft class. Um, yeah. Claypool, I think Claypool, my, sorry, Pete. Um, Claypool going to the Steelers is just a great organization to start off with. That's a. Uh, and a player that can help in so many spots. Um, even if Cole commits the best pure prospect for one position, I, I had Claypool as my favorite pick going into the draft, and the Steelers helped that. I, yeah, I think we've talked on multiple podcasts the the Claypool commit debate about who would go first, and I was I was sort of in with commit only because physically he's different from every other tight end. Claypool, while different, um, you know. Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and, you know, that type of receiver is in vogue. No, nobody is, there's no equivalent of a five foot 11 tight end who can run a four, two, um, you know, everyone wants Cole Komet. So I, I got that. I, I thought that order made sense. Um, you know, acquire in the third, certainly lower than any, we all would have thought at this time last year, yeah. um, yes. you know, K- Kareem, it's like I'm surprised he went in the fifth, but it was the first pick in the fifth. So it's like if he goes a pick earlier, you know, probably be inc- completely inconsequential. Um, Priester, I, I think that you had sort of written up a bunch about how pride it was going to be rising up. And I thought, I mean, overall, mid early fourth was he had to be probably pretty pleased with that. Right, right where Julian Love was, basically four spots different. And right at the start of day two, right, you know, out of the shoot. He goes, you know, I thought Claypool, it's a, I think it's an excellent opportunity for Claypool with the Steelers because a, as you look at their receiving core from last year, uh, the, the tallest of that group, I mean, it's a different style of receiver. Uh, um, Juju Smith-Schuster is, is 6'2". Everybody else is under six foot. So it's a big receiver. He's a, a, a red zone target. I think a really good choice. He, he's going to look good in the Steelers uniform, don't you think? I, th- I had Kareem going in the uh, – Ed Cream going to the Ravens, I think mainly because I thought, damn, he's going to look good in that uniform with the, you know, with the black, uh, the, the black paint on his or the black polish on his face. I thought, eh, I'm going to pick him with the Ravens. But he, ha- well, he has a great opportunity with the Bengals. He's behind a 10-year veteran who's still productive. But then after that, 
he has an opportunity. I, I think he's better suited for a three, four. They basically run a four, three, but they do run some three, four as well. So I think that's a good opportunity. A, a funny story or one that I thought was funny. You know, I thought I had Cole Komet pegged. I, I, I knew from some inside info that the, the, the Patriots were interested in, in him with the 23rd pick in the first round. Then they traded down. So I was certain that the Patriots were going to choose him when they had the fifth pick of the second round. So here I am thinking, okay, I know what Bill Belichick's going to do. And he picks a player from, from Lenore Rhine University. It just made me laugh out loud. It's like that's the last time I will ever project a Notre Dame player going to New England because I have no idea what Bill Belichick's thinking. No, yes. <laughs> for what it, for what it's worth on Komet, I was talking to his dad a couple months ago, and he's like, after the draft, like I've written down where Cole is going in the draft, and I will tell you after the draft plays out. And it was the Chicago Bears at the top of round two, um, which you know maybe some some. Fan uh, fan servicing there, sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> son, yeah. but they they felt like that was a highly probable spot. Thirty Chicago, thirty miles from Lake Barrington. Well, I feel like there's a lot of that, like Comet hometown, Julian Aquara with his brother. Right, that right. is one of the coolest draft moments there was. You get to go play with your older brother. That's incredible. Uh, Troy Pride is, I mean, that's no, it's not hometown, but it's home region. It's not that's home state, but it's certainly the region that you play in. And then Alohi Gilman joining 15 Notre Dame players in uh, the Chargers. It's just – and Asmar Bilal going to play with – or going to try out to play with Tranquil's best buddy. It's like – it's a lot, yep. of, uh, lot of odd connections that just you have to, work out. And we'll talk about the free agents a little bit more, but that was something that I, uh, I put on our message board yesterday that you have to think. You know, because I, I don't know that you guys were involved in this, but there was an inter- – I did an interview with Asmar Bilal, and Drew Tranquil was in the room with him, kind of yeah. like his moral support as he was – and it wasn't like Bilal was a freshman. It, it was later in his career, but he was uncomfortable with the media, and he was um, – you know, Bilal was in Tranquil's wedding, and so he felt comfortable. So here I am interviewing one <laughs> player with two players in the room, and you have to believe that that kind – you know, I'm sure Tranquil said, man, you, let, give this guy a look. There's yeah. no harm done. He's a free agent. They're not going to give him a roster spot if he doesn't deserve it. But there's a lot of tools there for Asmar Bilal. And he, would, he was going to be in somebody's camp, and I guess the Chargers made the most sense. Also, Brian Kelly probably, right, if he believes in Bilal, because he's, he made a point of saying, I want to talk about the six guys yeah. that aren't going to be drafted. And if you'd say, look, man, he didn't go to the combine, but you should look at his senior year or his final year statistics or his final year film yeah. because – Brian Kelly would not have recommended Asmar Bilal to anything prior to 2019, and he could do it in very good conscience, recommend Asmar Bilal as an undrafted free agent after last season. Yeah, I thought, I thought so. And, you know, the tranquil connection is interesting. And it, I, I guess the, sort of the hometown or home region, I thought was kind of an interesting thread to, yeah. to pull through all that. I don't, I don't know if this struck you guys at all watching the draft, but I sort of look back and be like, how did how did anyone pick Notre Dame to beat Clemson in the Cotton Bowl? Because you look at what might Clemson have, has honestly. turned out. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised Notre Dame scored three points. Yeah, we, we, no, we nobody we know did for that. the record. For the record, yeah. none of us three did. I mean, so I, I had a back and forth with somebody about Isaiah Simmons, and I said that you know, basically that's as close as, 
close to Jalen Smith as I, I have agree. seen in person. Good call. Good call. But imagine Jalen Smith playing in a defense where both corners are first round picks, and then the defensive line uh, had three first round picks, a fourth round pick, and then your safeties were also third and fourth round picks. Um, that's just uh, that's incredible development, and it sort of I think puts a bow on that game. Or like, oh yeah, that maybe maybe sort of judging where Notre Dame is or is not is not entirely fair based on the, uh, the NFL draft output, but it does sort of call into question, you know, Brian Kelly's like, Hey, we're getting closer to that level. I think we, we saw what that level was over the weekend. It's three or four first round picks within a single unit. That's, that's very difficult for Notre Dame to get to. And Pete, that's without mentioning the best collegiate defensive coordinator of the last 10 years and yeah. a future number one overall pick at quarterback with wide receivers going in the first, second round as well. Yeah. That's the whole yeah. group was ridiculous. There was a mock, mock direct, like Dan Brugler at the FX, I think does a good job. He sort of had like, hey, here are my 32 first round picks for next year. And it's Trevor Lawrence, number one, Justin Ross, number eight. And um Travis Etienne was sort of at the at the back of the first round. I mean, and T. Higgins was a early second round pick. Uh, he, I think he may have been the, the first pick of the second round. He was, yeah, uh, over the weekend. Speaking of Travis Etienne, seventeen running backs drafted, seventeen in seven rounds, thirty-two teams. It's a dying breed. No one. I mean, if look, you want to make it in the NFL? I, I hey, I want to play receiver. You know, now not not everybody's built like that and can do that, but man, the the, the deteriorating draft picks of running backs. Anyway, Jalen Elliott. Um, you know, again, I thought I thought I had a little bit of info that indicated he would be drafted. He was not. He signed with the Lions. Dante Vaughn with the Chargers. Bilal with the Chargers. Tony Jones Jr. with the Saints. Chris Fink with the Forty ers Jameer Jones with the Texans. I've been saying all along that I thought Chris Fink could make a roster on one of the half dozen worst rosters in the NFL, but then he signed with the 49ers. Now he, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to make the 49ers to make a roster in the NFL, but I don't think he's going to make that one. Yeah. You know, he got $90,000 contract. It's more than most undrafted free agents get. They actually, really? yeah, they targeted fake. The problem is, as you said, the roster's deep and they have players. Well, but- I, you know, I don't know exactly what their need is at, at punt return off the top that's, of my head. That's but, the one that they yeah. kind of feel like, hey, let's bring him in for that. And I think he is a probably a practice squad player for the 49ers. And the thing about that is practice squad players get traded left and right. I had a friend in Atlanta that was on multiple practice squads, and he's just like, man, I, you know, you're, you're in the NFL still because you get called up and you play for a week and you, you practice with them, but you are changing your life all the time. So it, it's not a big deal for a 23-year-old person that's not married with a family but I think when they hit like 25 if you're wondering why guys stop playing because you're getting traded from Seattle to Cincinnati to Miami to San Francisco all the time and it's just and you're not going to make it you know but think that's I mean I think they probably like that type of guy for their practice squad we know what he looks like in practice right (laughs) yeah he's elusive he's he's definitely elusive in practice all right we have a couple more questions on uh on the draft in in segment two but I, I wanted to pop to um and I'd spoken to, to uh, Jack Swarbrick early in the coronavirus era uh, when that was just breaking. And Pete, I know that you spoke to, to him recently. And I do want to talk, I want to ask you about uh, the May 15 date and exactly what you, what impressions you got from recently speaking to Jack, Jack Swarbrick that is going to be determined 
by Notre Dame and probably some other entities uh, on that date of May 15th? Uh, we didn't talk a ton about May 15th. Um, I wanted to ask more about sort of, okay, if, if change X happens, how does season right. Y play I, right. out? But, um, we did, you know, I, I did ask him about, I think it was, we spoke last Monday time every day is like a Tuesday, but, um, you spoke on a, you spoke on a day. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a day where I was wearing sweatpants. Um, and we got into because it was the day that Notre Dame announced that summer camps had been canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, well, what is this an indication that summer recruiting is also to be canceled? And he's like, I, I wouldn't read it that way because, you know, you bring 5,000, 10,000 people to campus. That's different than bringing t- 10 people um, who are recruits and you can sort of keep them separate. But, you know, I, you know, May 15th for Notre Dame, I, I think, I would be surprised if they made an announcement about the fall semester on May 15th um, until they absolutely have to. I mean, I I think Purdue over the weekend said that they intend to be open in the fall. Uh, Missouri as well. Um, May 15th. Yeah. May 15th will be more about the second semester of the summer. Right. That's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think Notre Dame's going to make a decision until they absolutely have to on the fall semester. Um, I, you know, I, Sure, we we all talk to people, you know, on more of the administration side of things. Like, there's a, a great deal of optimism that they will have a normal fall semester. Um, I thought it was sort of interesting talking to Sorbic. Like, if they have a fall semester, you he said you basically you have to have students allowed at the games, faculty allowed at the games. Um, you know, there's basically no way he could get himself to a spot mentally where he'd say like, okay, it it's not safe for. 5,000 students to be at the stadium with, you know, let's say a thousand faculty members, but it is safe for the players to play. Um, you know, that it was kind of interesting to talk to him a little bit more about like what the whole no fans concept means philosophically um, where there is, but there is some gray area between you don't have to go to 80,000 to have a game, but you, you're going to have to have it probably at least five. Yeah. The difficult part of it is, the players, I mean, there's got to be, we can't go down the rabbit hole in this one, but the players smashing into each other at close range all the time, all you need is one, you know? I mean, well, you, it, it, so you, have to te- you have to test them all before you. And, that, and, yeah, that, and then they can still get it right deep, after the right, test. Right. <laughs> so it's, it, it's, that's way above everyone's pay grade trying to figure that out. But I, I, I find it so interesting that like, Basketball players practicing, that is the actual number one way to transmit this virus is to be a basketball player next to another basketball player breathing on him heavily <laughs> while you're doing a drill. It's, right. you know, it's much more so than fans sitting with masks spread out in a stadium. It's right. just a straight, it's the strangest thing to have to deal with. I can't imagine the headaches Jack Swarbrick and all of his uh, fellow ADs and everybody else is dealing with right now because you, get it, you do figure there's a hard decision to make, probably. Right. I mean, even if everything's if everything's opened up, best case scenario, everything opens up before August. You still have a tough decision to make. Every, every decision That's, moving, yeah. every decision moving forward is difficult. Yeah, I thought I mean, it's certainly part of that is he he said that, you know, like, let's say California schools don't open like you right. don't have a college football season. Like, yikes, the, the, the threshold for a football season to happen, it's probably going to be like 47 out of 50 states and the three that maybe say no, as long as they're like North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana. Yeah, well, it's not um, going to be them. Yeah, and it's not <laughs> going to be them. Gonna be them. <laughs> um, you know, if like 
if California is a no, that that could scuttle the entire football season is it does not give me a lot of hope that there's going to be a season in the fall. Yeah. Now Montana, Montana could host three bowl games. Yeah, they could, they could just, we could, that'd be fun. All right. I want to, again, I want to, I want to keep moving forward in this segment and then we'll jump into the questions, but I want to mention Will Shipley because Lord knows we haven't had enough stories on him. And, he's a running back, uh, right? Is he? A, I think so. I think, yeah, I think he's yep. a pretty highly touted running back yep. that Notre Dame would like. Um, and Rocco Spindler and Pete again. I want to jump to you because I know that you uh, wrote about them recently. Um, your your thoughts on? So I, I predicted about them recently. You did. You did. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So that's why I'm bringing it up to you. Predict for us, or give us your reasoning behind your prediction. I, I mean, I think that they're going to get Spindler. I, I think that they're well in front with him. Um, that That is the most likely commitment among, like, the big names. If they me. don't get Rocco, yeah. and I totally agree with you, if they don't get Rocco Spindler, man, come on, man. Yeah, I'm not sure what we're doing <laughs> at that point. Right. Um, Shipley, I just – I have a gut feeling that they're going to get him based on some of – and we can talk about this in segment two because um, it fits into the the Brian, the question about, like, if you're Brian Kelly, yes. what would you tell Will Shipley? Um, I just think that they've taken some very unconventional – roots with uh Shipley's recruitment um I'm not gonna and yeah I'll just save my answer for segment two on that one I, but okay. I just I feel like the way that they're going is incredibly smart and effective uh based on the feedback from sort of people around Shipley Tim are they gonna get Will Shipley you know I if if I were throwing my uh 51 percent hat in the ring I think they're gonna get Will Shipley too actually um it's honestly when you said if they can't get Spindler and I understand that they have to be able to get Spindler. I, I'm just saying. What are you doing? He, he, I mean, you've got to be able to get Will Shipley. And you had to have your offensive coordinator heavily involved in this for a while now. And it's good that they're getting the relationship built. But there are – you've got to be able to get Will Shipley to Notre Dame, man. I, I know. And, I, and I, I, I realize it's Clemson. I, I understand that if I just told some random person out there it's between Notre Dame and Clemson, you say, well, I would go to Clemson because Clemson is yeah. a great program. That is absolutely true. But the priority target of Will Shipley and how he can be a difference maker at Notre Dame along the lines of Kyle Hamilton coming in. I know they weren't recruited in the same manner, um, but along the lines of Kyle Hamilton, along the lines of Jalen Smith, how you are just a absolute amazing necessity at Notre Dame as Will Shipley right now. I, I'm, and I'm not questioning how Notre Dame's recruited him. I, 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 Pete, what you said about, you know, going to great lengths and, to, to some degree, the unsettled times that we live in maybe have played into Notre Dame's hands a little bit. Other than he didn't, he didn't make. He the, didn't make it though. Yeah, he didn't make yeah. the campus. Which you know, I think a lot. I think there are people in Notre Dame felt like had all of this not arisen and he had made his trip to Notre Dame, he'd be verbally committed to Notre Dame right now. So I'm not questioning the way Notre Dame's handled it. What I'm questioning is, it's Clemson, and if you're a top 100 pick, and maybe Will Shipley's different than a lot of other top 100 picks, but if you have a choice. Uh, you know, between that machine that they have going on there and where the way they're churning out draft picks, the majority of top 100 guys aren't going to choose Notre Dame over Clemson because they don't have to, because they don't, because it's just a, it's just an easier, better route going through Clemson. That's what concerns me. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the the NFL production. I mean, that's, and that's just not the, they have really good input, but they're, it's enhanced at Clemson. I think, you know, Notre Dame has a good developmental angle to pitch here. Um, Clemson has a great developmental angle to pitch here. Yeah. So Last thing, guys, yeah. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, P, but I wanted to, I wanted to hurry. Muffin McGraw retires after 33 years. Neil Ivey takes the job. I don't think any of us were anticipating Muffin McGraw stepping down. Um, it's, I guess, a good time. I don't, I, personally, I wouldn't like to step down after going 13 and 18. But uh, I think that was what the record was. But yeah, successor in waiting, uh, hard to argue Neil Ivey. Uh, considering her background with Notre Dame. Or the fact that she was an NBA assistant coach. Exactly. I mean, no, exactly. I mean, she was on a na- first national championship team captain. I was surprised by the stepping down at the time, but it is the ultimate transition for from McGraw to Ivy. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly, you, you can't ask for that much, much better. Ivy, than Ivy hasn't had much trouble recruiting since she was yeah. there last week <laughs> yeah, either. No. Well, good for her and good for Muffin McGraw. I mean, she earned it. She's a legend. She's amazing. Everybody keeps talking to me about a statue. Slow down. There will be a statue for Muffin McGraw. It probably won't be within the next couple of weeks, though, so people can <laughs> slow down. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Segment two, burning up the boards on Irish Illustrated's Insider from ND Sushi. What might explain the Los Angeles Chargers' proclivity for drafting Nordic football players? Ryan Polian and Tom Telesco, their general manager. They go back to John Carroll, and then uh, Telesco's first job was with the Buffalo Bills when when Bill Polian was running it, and then immediately he moved to the Panthers when Bill Polian was running it, and then he moved to the Colts when Bill Polian was running it. So I think that uh, especially with if you're looking for, I think, later round picks or free undrafted right. free agents who, all right, can this guy help us in – special teams because we don't have a huge need at safety or linebacker, then that, that those are the kind of guys you're going to go with. Um, you know, it's like, who were, who knew those guys best at Notre Dame? Brian Polian. Yeah. Um, you know, and that includes Tyler Newsom hooked on there briefly uh, after the draft last year. So it's, he's getting pretty good insight onto like what Notre Dame, Telesco, I mean, is getting good insight onto like what Notre Dame's coaches actually think about Notre Dame players, which I think was, Probably a real compliment for Jerry Tillery because um, I think his person, I would wonder like, all right, it's football important. Is it not, you know, certainly Notre Dame vouched for him, which is why he went in the first round there a year ago. Yeah. Now it gets easier because you have the example of all time and you're tranquil too. I mean, that's, you know, it, the, the question was, of course, as Pete right. pointed out, that it, there had to be a, an initial link, and that was, but now the link is, well, no, I, we have Drew Tranquil. <laughs> and no, we, can, the, we can speak right. to the, you know, speak the to. The initial uh, link is. Isaac Rochelle, who's another. How many years uh, into well, his ten-year career are we with that? I know we're hitting four. What, what sixteen? He was in the seventeen draft. We're hitting year four here, Pete. You're five. Okay. Ready. I think I win know at halfway. Let yes, me know at halfway, I believe I win the bet. I uh, not win the bet. It was after halfway. Contract year. Contract, contract year. year. Hit that it's contract year, man. It's a, it's a big year for Isaac Rochelle, but it's I, a big year for I, our bet. Okay. Yeah, I think Isaac <laughs> Rochelle, you know, is a, is a real Notre Dame guy and has done a nice job for them and represented them very well, which, and again, that's why Bilal is there. I would suggest that Tom Telesco get to know the recruiting coordinators better at Clemson, Alabama and Ohio state and LSU, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but, but be that as it may, uh, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I, you know, Tranquil certainly it, it already has worked out very well for them. Yeah, and you remember um, Anawalu was a special teams guy for yes. them briefly too. They've had yes. it's uh, it works out well for them. Anyway, yeah. they've they've made a lot of Notre Dame fans casual observers on Sundays. Yeah. 
Archive Irish, which of the free agent signees has the best opportunity to make an NFL roster? Uh, my pick, and I'm sticking with it because I tried to do this in Monday Musings before the draft, and then obviously I, I'm not well-versed in the Texans roster, but Jameer Jones is my selection. And I want to remind people, when he was a true freshman and sophomore, it wasn't Chase Claypool, his classmate, that led Notre Dame in special teams tackles. It was Jameer Jones. I think Jameer Jones is an immediate special teams player that throws into a uh, rotate, you know, rotational player. I'm not, you're not saying Jameer Jones is going to go get 12 sacks ever in his life. But uh, I, think he is, I think he's a guy that he would have really starred for Notre Dame next year. And now he can be there and play, probably make it as a special teamer. Uh, I'll go with Fink on this one. I think his skill set's just like a little bit unique. Um, you know, you could you could find a small role for him there. Um, you know, because it's, it's like Jalen Elliott and Asmar Bilal are probably better athletes, but I'm not sure they do anything really one, sort of micro-targeted the way that Fink thing, does. Yeah. yeah, so I I'll go with Fink. I'm, but it's a I I don't look at this group and I can't find a Romeo Aquara or an Ian Williams in there. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, I, I think in looking at our message board, I think people may be a little overly optimistic about how many Nordic free agents are going to hang on here. Um, Jalen Elliott is is the equivalent of a late round draft choice. Um, I you know I know he ran a four eight at the combine, and then he ran a low four sixes on an individual workout. Uh, apparently, that didn't move the needle for many people. Um, you know, early on, and I, and I shame on me for going back on what I believed all along and I loved Alohi Gilman and I had Elliot going ahead of him, um, you know, more size, a little bit more physically prepared than Gilman. Uh, but, but good for Gilman going in the sixth round because he's a hell of a football player. And ultimately that frame, I don't know how long that frame can last in the NFL, but <clears throat> he has all the other uh, attributes. So I hesitate to pick Elliot. I guess maybe I, and I haven't looked at the uh, – talking about rosters, Tim, I haven't looked at the Saints roster, but I, Tony Jones Jr. does a lot of good things. If I know he doesn't run a, anything in the four fives, but there's a lot to his game. And if he doesn't hang with the Saints, I think, I think Tony Jones Jr. has a chance just because of his versatility. I agree with you, Pete, in terms of Fink uh, having a shot as well. But I, I, I guess my pick then just to be – to have three different opinions here is Tony Jones. He's special teams. They have to be special teams too, though, right? We're all on special teams for sticking. That's how you stick. Um, yeah, I mean, Asmar Malala could run down and cover kicks too, right? He's a a if, receiver yeah. out of the backfield, a guy yeah. that, that that diagnoses uh, blitzes, diagnoses uh, or, or understands the protection to be in and can pick up the the blitz. I mean, it's a lot of the peripheral things for a running back, but still things that are very important. Dave Easley. Name the next Notre Dame first rounders. And as an aside, what is books draft projection upside with a good year? When I watched, I remember where I was when I watched Harrison Smith's high school film. And it's the only time in my evaluation that I said, although I kind of suspected Quentin Nelson, but I didn't say it. It was the only time where I said that's a first round draft choice watching high school film. You know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about another safety. Yes. That would be Kyle Hamilton, of course. He's certainly the next sure first rounder. Um, right. Could I see Jeremiah Wusu Kormoa being a first rounder a year from now? I get, yeah, it would surprise me, but I, I wouldn't 
sit there and describe that as like, oh, nobody ever saw this coming. Um, because I he's freaky athletic. The um, player we at, saw in the at a in demand position. Right, and the player we saw in the camping world bowl, if that continues. Yeah, no, that's I, that's absolutely. a first round pick. Um, yeah. I think the player we saw all year is a and continues to develop as a second round pick. But the player we saw in the camping world bowl was, I mean, that was at his best. He was locked in, and really, I think just it, not that he's a guy they worried about, but they never really thought. I think Pete had these conversations with some people that he was like totally locked into everything all the time. This wasn't um, like getting it. Yeah, it's kind of like a he, taking not. I don't. Uh, how do I Locked say in's the wrong word too. Just, it's, it's getting the playbook down and just like muscle memory and just like yeah. instinctual knowing what to do at all the time. And now, I mean, you don't play the way that he did against Iowa State without having a lot of good natural instincts I, and picking up the playbook. Right. I think locked in is the right phrase because it's because he was lacking attention to detail. Okay, I, that yeah. was the. I mean, I heard the same things that Pete did. I mean, I, I, that was the that was the issue with him early on as the season progressed. And I think he started to understand his own abilities. Right. Uh, I think he started to settle in a little bit more. And he was a rookie last year, a straight up rookie. Yeah. You know, he did, he almost had not played defensive newcomer of the year and not in the, not, not in the uh, Jonas Gray offensive newcomer of the year, senior year rookie type of way. He just didn't play at all going into going to last year. And then after those guys, I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess you could say maybe Kevin Austin could be a first-round draft choice, but we don't really know that. Two and then years, other guys yeah. that I wrote down are a bunch of freshmen that, that we, haven't, <laughs> yes. we haven't seen, but just projecting because we've seen the other guys and we don't we don't see first-round draft choices per se. In the second yeah. half of that question, what is Ian Book's draft projection with a good – I mean, I think I'll let you guys answer, but just to an account for how quarterbacks were picked, four went in the first round oh. – one went in the second round, two went in the fourth round, one went in the fifth round, one went in the sixth round, and four went in the seventh round. So where where would Ian Book fall in that? Well, I, I I guarantee you he's better than than Jacob Eason. He doesn't have he doesn't have his stature. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he doesn't have his arm fall. either. He doesn't have his arm either, and they fall in love with the arm of the NFL. No, I. I, I know. He got, did you watch the broadcast when he got drafted? By the way, I yes, I have. That. Yeah, I was. Holy all... cow! He got destroyed. Yes, they were... <laughs> it was like this guy doesn't work. Lazy, bad habits. Crazy. Like whoa! God. Then they they showed a few throws to show how good his arm could be at times. Yeah. You're like whoa! It just looked like a different yeah. human being out there. It was strange. Yeah. Well, remember we were we were disappointed that he was injured before Notre Dame played him in 2017. You know, and, and Fromm, I know Fromm was inexperienced, but we had heard so many great things about how mature Fromm was. Um, well, Fromm is the answer to my question, because Ian Book's upside for me is the sixth round, no matter how well he plays, once he gets broken down on every – doesn't – I'm not saying you can't be a successful player. He's a, I, I think his upside is sixth round, and Jake Fromm did not get drafted. No, he got he went in the fifth round. But, I'm sorry, yeah, Jake, Fromm, Jake Fromm. Yeah. I meant Jake Fromm did not get drafted high. Okay, but, I got uh, you. There was, I got yeah, you. That, right. that, that if you don't have to teams that needed him, like when the Patriots are passing on that, and it seems like the perfect fit to to try mm-hmm. him out, the guy that knows what he's doing. Ian Book is not getting ahead of Jake Brown. Jake Fromm is what I'm saying. It's just or Jake Brown. Jake Brown was a quality. Jake, uh, right. Jake Brown, but was um, a, yeah, he's good. Good jump shot. But he was, uh, hell, he was a hell of a recruiter. If he gets yeah. to uh, hear this, he had a pretty good left-handed jump shot too, Jake. So, yeah. but no, I think 
How do you project Ian Book going high in the draft next year? Well, his arm's stronger than Fromm's. His arm is stronger than Fromm's. Uh, I mean, accuracy. appreciably stronger no, than No, not Fromm's? appreciably. No, not appreciably, okay. but it yeah. is. I mean, it's not like Jacob Eason's stronger than Fromm's. Like, no. Jacob Eason can no. throw through a brick wall. Yeah. No. I'd say, you know, like a d- early day three, I'd say like fourth round's probably as good I, as I, I think he can be go, fourth or fifth right? round. I mean, I don't know that you – Tim, I know what you're saying, but I don't know that you can compare one draft to the next. You can't just compare player for player from one draft to the next, per se. I don't know. I think he can – I'll say fifth round. I'll say four, I'll agree, I, fourth or fifth round. All right, I'll say sixth is his uh, draft position next year. Okay, there you go. Uh, CMU Pens fan, if you were Brian Kelly giving one final speech with Will Shipley to seal the deal after their Zoom meeting this weekend – what would you try and hammer home to bring him to South Bend? The pitch here to me is come be Manti Teo. Yeah. Because, exactly. you know, when you're talking about the, you know, I, O'Malley, you had mentioned sort of Jalen Smith and some other, you know, Kyle Hamilton, like the, the Teo comparison is the one that will hit home with Shipley. And I think it's the one that Nureim is actually making because when Manti came here, you know, Notre Dame was not known for quality linebackers for, what, 15 years. Um, they were recruiting against the hot team of, in college football at that time, the easy sort of local decision. I'm air quoting there um, since, you know, Hawaii to L.A. is local. It's to me, it's all the same as Shipley. You know, the local team is Clemson. Notre Dame is not known for good running backs. Um, and if he came here, I think that he could have a lasting impact on the program and you don't say that about like you don't say that about prospects because Notre Dame Notre Dame is not going to sign an offensive line like Rocco Spindler is not going to change Notre Dame you know they're not going to change you're not going to change a position that pumped out Mike McGlinchey Quinton Nelson Ronnie Stanley um you know it's getting to be true I think along the defensive line now um but at running back they haven't had sort of a guy at running back that would make you stand up and take notice when they signed him, when they, you know, when he landed there. And then I think the personality sort of fit in and give you everything you could want from that position from a personality standpoint. Um, I think the Spindler tail comparison is that's, that's the one I would be really trying to sell if I was Notre Dame. And I think that they are. Yeah, that that's, that's the selling point. And I think to, even when you mentioned like offensive linemen, you know, they have a tradition of that in tight ends. Those also aren't positions that change things. Like Quentin Nelson wasn't going to change Notre Dame football when he got there. He was just a great, right. a great five-star, you know, four-star some places, but he was just, you need five offensive linemen as we found out. I mean, you can get overrun by teams when you have Quentin Nelson destroying two guys and there's everybody else coming at you. Chipley should change his thing. I mean, he, if he's as good as he could be, he changes things. That's one of the few positions. It's just like at quarterback as well. It's Notre Dame has had quality quarterbacks in Brady Quinn and Deshaun Kaiser and Ian Book, but to have a transcendent quarterback changes things. It changes everything. It's well, I think the I think the comparison with Teo, which Notre Dame is certainly using, if, if that hits home, if that resonates, great, go for it. Um, and I think that's the best way to approach it. In terms of other factors, um, you know, you're—I mean, you're going to be a top—you'd be a top 100 draft choice with the best education you could possibly, you know, the best combination of athletics and and uh, education. You know, the typical Notre Dame stuff, and then the fact again that 
I'm not sure that you necessarily emphasize these things, but 17 running backs were drafted. Uh, you know, you're going to have to be really, really special to be a guy that gets picked high and has a great opportunity at running back in the, in the, uh, in the NFL. So, you know, and also, I mean, again, you don't necessarily say this, but I mean, look at the depth chart. Just I was look say, at our depth chart. I would just say Sebo Flemister led us in touchdowns. And do you know who he is? And Will Shipley can come to Notre Dame. That's, I mean, that's, I like the guy, but uh, the depth chart is something. You do say it. You have to say that. Yeah, right? you do have to say that. All right, moving on, another recruiting type question from Southern Irish One. Who, who has the best Notre Dame career prediction here? Dion Colsey, Rocco Spindler, or Will Shipley? I put down Spindler just because I think it's a like a 92% chance they're going to get him. So I, w- I wanted to go with a certain payoff of something, even if the payoff was not huge. If we're using real money, I will follow Samson's lead. If we're just saying things to make people happy once in a while on a podcast, I'll say Shipley. But I won't oh, say Colsey. I, I will not say, say Colsey. I will not Colsey, say Colsey. Colsey's not going to end up in Notre Dame. I'm not saying Colsey. Uh, just my opinion, I think Shipley is a high four-star running back, not a five-star running back. Not that not that he's not or that he's any less important because of that. He's extremely important. But my pick definitely here would be Rocco Spindler. If if all three went to Notre Dame, my pick would be Rocco. Okay, that's the best way to say it. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I'll take the high four-star over the uh, very high not-rated running back that led Notre Dame in touchdowns last year. An offensive guard is our pick. That's just that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. If we were, uh, that's, that's exciting to me, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, Quentin Nelson ruined offensive guards for me. I'm not yeah. going to watch him anymore. Uh, from Dashing Domer, speaking of talent, what kind of receiver is Kevin Austin? And if he reaches his peak performance, who is a good comparable receiver? What kind of receiver is Kevin Austin? I mean, he's he's not long, let, long, but he's long. Let me let me throw this at you guys because you watched him play. How does Kevin Austin compare to Derek Mays? I don't think uh, he's just a, he's a he's a much faster player. Derek Mays was the unique, most uniquely coordinated receiver I can remember watching at Notre Dame. In that, it didn't matter what your matchup was; he was better with the ball in the air than you were. Um, but that's not a bad one, Pete, because from when we watched Austin in practice, he went against a entire lot of unproven players, but he was killing them. Yeah, it just elevates. Yeah. Yeah. I had a hard time picking anyone out from since in my time on the Notre Dame beat because the great receivers either were like six three, six four, six five, yeah, or they were Will Fuller and Golden Tate, and he's really not. He's no, not he's either. Not of those that either. He's not them. His his route running is uh, what we are told. His route running is supposed to be excellent for a guy that hasn't really played a lot of college football. So I hope that comes to fruition because he will be really hard to cover if he's difficult at the top of his routes, as, as people have been saying in the Goog. I don't, I don't like making up comparisons when I don't have an exact one. I mean, I wrote down Maurice Stovall, but Stovall's a lot taller and, and so rangy. athletic. So yeah, rangy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I just like don't... Uh, Raymond McKnight, right? Like Raymond McKnight yeah. without a knee injury? Yeah, because I like Raymond <laughs> McKnight pre-knee injury. He was a little – he slowed down, you know, after his knee injury. He was yeah. not the same player. Yeah, that that's that's not bad. I there I don't I don't have an exact comparison. And we you know, frankly, we just I'm gonna go ahead and read the next question because it ties in. I wanna okay. put part of from Murphy's underscore law. What are the ceilings for Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay as it pertains to the NFL draft? How high could they be drafted, assuming they both finish with good careers at Notre Dame? And let me just insert I 
both of those players need to get a lot stronger. They need to get a lot stronger before we can start talking about NFL draft and making comparisons to other former great players. I think uh, Lindsey is certainly trending in that direction. And Austin, just based upon what I saw that one practice, that one spring practice, I think he's in the same boat strength-wise. Well, they're both two-year I, I, can't, I can't even answer this one. No, they're two-year yeah. projections, though. I mean, no, I, there's no way – I'm actually writing about this in the class of 2018. Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay are two-year projections for the NFL. It's, it's ludicrous to think at this point you're projecting the NFL one year from now. I mean, Lindsay just isn't big enough, and he has to learn technical aspects of being a wide receiver. So let's say Kevin Austin is everything we think he is. He's not going pro after one year of 67 catches. You, you wouldn't, I, mean, I mean, you wouldn't think so. Well, unless, unless he's making a mistake. Unless there's yeah. some other <laughs> issues. You can, you can go pro yeah, and make a mistake. So. I, I, just, I really like the way Lindsay's trending. But, but yeah, as you yeah. think, Tim, it's a, it's a two-year projection. We're, where Braden Lindsay is right now and, and where we will be <laughs> excuse me, leading up to the draft in two years. I mean, I, I expect a much, a much different football player, a very, very mature football player by that point. I'll, I'll put it this way. Braden Lindsay has to be two years from now, much better than he is now compared to where he is now from two years ago when he couldn't come close to getting on a football field at Notre Dame because he was too small, didn't have that hand flashing, didn't have the strength, didn't have the size, speed or understanding the position. So his growth needs to be in just massive over the next two years. But after what we saw last year, you would, you would think Braden Lindsay would make that transition. I'm not saying a high NFL pick, that Braden Lindsay will be a really good, really good receiver in 2021 as a senior at Notre Dame. Not yeah, that I think doesn't have to be 2020. Yeah. No, I mean, he should be. I think he'll be good in 2020 as yeah, well. Yeah, I think – Sure. But I, 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 I want to see – Yeah, I think he'll be good this year. I want to see Braden Lindsay 15 – muscle pounds from now yeah I think he's gonna be I think he's gonna be a really really good football player at that at that stage it might not be great news for this fall but it's really good news for 2021 that both will probably be back even if they're good next year they're just not at that they're not at the Will Fuller Michael Floyd could have gone Golden Tate it's not that's not that level but remember they're coming back to a quarterback transition and basically replacing your your whole line or most of your line. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's good news that they'll be back <laughs> for two for two more well, years. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and not uh, for them, but for yeah, Notre Dame fans. And so that's why I think maybe if I mean I'm projecting here, but if Austin had a huge, huge year and looked at what's coming back in 2021 at Notre Dame. Oh, we pull a Darius Walker. Yeah, I don't, yeah I'm just throwing I'm just throwing ideas out there. Tim, you read the next one because this is the longest handle in. Uh, <laughs> Twitter history. It might be Will Clay. Will C L A seventy three sixty five eighty nine thirty eight. I think that's a bot that pops up. It could be Will Clark. Yeah. Well, you're just having bad dreams of Will Clark from thirty years ago. But okay, uh, who are your special teams breakout candidates? Len- well, Lindsey for one, because I think he's going to be a heck of a return man. Um, Leofow, Maris Leofow. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, for uh, breakout, that's a great one. Yeah. I mean, Bo Bauer and, and Jeremiah usu Cormo are already great at it. They're not breakout candidates. Um, I would add Ovia Gofu because I thought it would be last year, so I assume it'll be this mm. year. Agreed. That's a good one. I, You know, Lindsay is excited to watch. I'm curious, like, if Lawrence Keyes factors into anything. Um, you know, is, is he a punt return option? I don't right. really 
no, because we haven't seen that. But um, yeah, Maris Leopold, I think is I think, is probably the best answer for that. For I sure. think Lindsay, I think Keys lost a leg up on Lindsay just by the way Lindsay returned kickoffs in the in the bowl game. It was so decisive. Um, I don't have any idea if Osita Aquanu can can play or is is a choice for special right. teams. I'm projecting his... based upon physique and athleticism and what mm-hmm. you know he could bring there. I wrote his name down, Tim, because he got to play last year the last three games on kickoff coverage. Oh, oh that's true. That's yeah, true. and he didn't play at all before, so that was the spot they found for him. Right. Um, played, then, played it in the bowl game. Yeah, and then Jack Kaiser, just because he started the first four games on special teams before they shut him down. Kendall Abdurrahman, again, no idea whether he would be a candidate for special teams, but athletically he should seem to be. Tim, I'm going to ask this next question of you. At Indy Irish CO, if the, quote, tournament of the century, unquote, went back to 1990 instead of 2000, would there be different number one seeds? This is a series that O'Malley is writing on Irish Illustrated, a 64-team field or 60 player field and yep. where are we on that breakdown Tim? Well we are at a spot where someone figured out how to juke the stats because Darius Walker's <laughs> blowing Golden Tate out of the water and I don't think that's by people voting once so that's an unfortunate thing that's happened there as a number one seed for Golden Tate. Um, I kind of laughed when I when you, you primed me with this question Tim I was like well of course they'd be different but I mean Manti Teo would be a number one seed Quentin Nelson, unless you just have to go throw raw stats at the situation, is a number one seed, right? The only way to do it is to throw raw stats at Quentin Nelson, and then it's hard to prove. Golden Tate, and I wrote a magazine story in 2010 that he had the best single season for any offensive player in Notre Dame history um, because only 15 of his yards didn't matter in a unique situation where they played 10 games that went down to the wire out of the 12. So Rocket Ishmael. I think by reputation becomes a number one seed over somebody, but am I taking out Brady Quinn? Wow. <laughs> I'm not taking out Manti Teo. He had the best single season. You, I mean, you can't take Manti Teo's yeah. 2012 season out of it. Mm-hmm. Quentin Nelson, we all know was the best player for one year. Everybody in the world knows that now it's been proven. Um, he doesn't have any numbers to show for it. And I guess you could argue as great as he was, they came up short when they needed to run the ball with him on the team a couple of times. Um, I have trouble not putting Rocket Ishmael on there because he was second in the Heisman and the most dynamic player. But I'm not putting guys like Autry Denson's best year ahead of Brady Quinn's best year or Aaron Taylor's best year ahead of Quentin Nelson's best year. Yeah. You know, it's just a – you try to think of all the best players. Um, those are the ones that immediately come to mind. And their names had – unless you just choose Brady Quinn as coming out, I don't see how you do it. And, man, Brady Quinn. <laughs> It's a pretty good first seed, right? His 2005 season. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, and then you put the two seasons together. I know you're not supposed to do that for yeah. the purpose of your your poll. Yeah. But. So for the sake of adding to this, like I did a fan survey a couple weeks ago, um, and it was one of the questions was who's your all time favorite Notre Dame player, and I it was a it was a right you had to like I think write it in, so okay. uh, there wasn't any sort of bias right, of right. like, well, I just want to click the Jeff Samarja button, but. Uh, number number one was Brady Quinn, and number two was Rocket Ishmael. So I think that, and those were like by wide wide margins. Number yeah. three was Joe Montana, uh, and he it was like basically triple, more than double the votes for Ishmael and Quinn, and then Montana. So I think it's O'Malley, your assumption that Rocket would be a number one seed, I think, is spot on. Uh, 
with, so you probably probably take out Golden Tate because he did it for a six and six team. But because you, you got to fit Rocket, yeah, in. that's the thing. Gold, you got to fit. Yeah, Rocket so in. it was the top. There was a pretty big gap. Um, so it went Quinn, Rocket, Montana, Samarja was four, Bettis was five, uh, and then was Manti was. Uh, Manti was actually pretty far down. I was surprised. He would have been higher with the different six. Golden Tate was seven, and Zibikowski was eight. So, there's, yeah, there's some recency bias there, and a nod to uh, Rocket Montana as the best. That's probably that's that's a good pull though that they Montana still made it. Yeah. All right, winding down, we're going to throw in a basketball question here from a new subscriber, RPM underscore Go underscore Irish. Mike Bray seemed close to stepping down. But now he's had some uh, great transfer recruiting momentum. How many years do you think he has left? He had to have the transfer momentum. Yeah, he had to have the transfer. Well, he has to make a tournament in the next two years, doesn't he, at some point, right? Yeah, it's probably – I don't know that I want to say two regardless. No, I I don't either, but if that class – if if Prentice Hub's class doesn't make an NCAA tournament in a four-year period – then I guess it's just he has as many as he wants to have back, mm-hmm. right? He might just have as many as he wants, but you have to – it's hard to miss a tournament four years in a row with a top 100 class. Yeah, it's not like – it's not that hard to make the tournament once in four years. Well, I think it's I think it's interesting. I don't know if your perspective has changed, Tim, since – I mean, we you know, at the end of the season, we're saying how can they be better without Mooney, Gibbs, and Fluger? Um, if, if Trey weren't – was eligible right right away that, that, that would be yeah. that would be really significant i don't mean to diminish at all gibbs and fluger here because fluger did a lot of stuff in his career and gibbs had a very good bounce back year after we uh very deservedly panned him heavily for his junior year um but if you can't replace tj gibbs and rex fluger as a basketball program you're we shouldn't be discussing anything um john booney's a hard guy to replace so if trey works is available and cormac ryan's available that's much better than if they can shoot like Bray teams of the past that were great shooting yeah. teams, not we're talking about a completely different animal, and that is very feasible here. Right. And Mooney's hard it, to replace because Durham is not – like Durham brings some strengths, but they're not Mooney's strengths. Now, the two freshmen are going to have to help on the boards, and they're not going to be on the court at the same time with Durham. Right, so, so that's just a weird – Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. Yeah. All right, we're going to wrap up with a uh, final question from Terry Benedict. If you were to ask a Notre Dame fan three questions, I don't know that I have three, but if you were to ask a Notre Dame fan a question, what would it be? Maybe paraphrase be- Michael Scott, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> <laughs> you should keep going on that, too, just so everybody yeah. knows how the rest of the quote goes. That's outstanding. <laughs> I, I think mine would center around what they, uh, what they feel about Brian Kelly is a head coach, but then I want you to expand on how you feel about it. Like, people seem to either feel that they absolutely have to change for Brian Kelly, which is crazy, because that means all you really care about is trying to finish one, two, and three, and I know people are there's 12 people in the message board about to go nuts on that. Or it seems like Brian Kelly for 10 years is either absolutely despised or not liked enough by those that like him. Does that make sense? Like, love-hate yeah. happens for every coach, sure? How many people out there do you think absolutely love what Brian Kelly has done for Notre Dame, even though he's done great things for Notre Dame? I think it's probably more than you think. 
It is. Well, I mean, and that, it goes back to the survey thing. I hope so. Like, I was surprised. It was overwhelming. I was like one, two, three, four. Or yeah, one, two, three, four, five. Five being exceptional, amazing, and one being awful, terrible. Okay. Uh, and it was four was like a blowout, like 70, sure. 75% four. But then like five was way more than three. That's good. Because four should be the blowout. It is a four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good that five is more than three because there's two. You know, you're, they were at the mountaintop twice and they got kicked off of it. Yeah. So um, it was good. Good Good was four. It was right. 71, uh, 72% of the vote. Excellent was five. That was 17%. Fair was 9%. That is more than I thought. That's good. I don't yeah, think he's, was, I don't think he's I was, five, but he's not three. So that's. Yeah, I just, I was surprised. I think the Notre Dame fan, the quiet Notre Dame fan base that would not ask us to ask them a question um, mm-hmm. is more in line with like, hey, Brian Kelly's doing a really good job than message boards or Twitter would lead you to believe. It, one of my questions would be, why are you a Notre Dame fan? And I, I say that because the answer over the years, having been around Notre Dame as long as I have, has has to have changed because when I was growing up, being a Notre Dame fan meant that you embraced everything about Notre Dame, being different and holding themselves to a higher standard, et cetera. And that, I don't find that to be the case anymore. So that leads me to the second question, which would be why on earth would you expect Notre Dame to recruit (laughs) at the level of Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and LSU? Why would you – why would you think that's a realistic possibility? It's not. Well, that's why you need guys like Will Shipley and Kyle Hamilton and well, Caleb Smith. And yeah, and I'm not saying Notre Dame can't. I'm, I'm spreading them out. I, you know, yeah. I spread them out because that's, they you can get one or two. can't ever gather the talent of those schools. That can't but, happen until Notre Dame changes what it stands for. Don't you think that that has a lot to do with like when you became a Notre Dame fan? Like if you started sure. following, like if, yeah. if you were kind of in the, the group of Notre Dame fans where Brady Quinn is your favorite player, to me, that means you're probably, I don't know, in your thirties. Um, you you're know, happy like 2000, yeah. 2005 was like the first really good, maybe great Notre Dame team that you followed. But man, if, if you were in college at Notre Dame from 87 to 93, some yeah. variant of that, like, the answer to Priester's question is like, I saw it. I saw yeah. Notre Dame recruit that level of talent. And so the, I think people have a hard time with that. And I understand why. Yeah, that's when I was in college. So I thought to myself that, <laughs> but it's, it is, it is difficult to think of Notre Dame doing that again. Um, but it is possible. I mean, well, it is, co- it is yeah, possible. The, I mean, the, co- the, the college game has changed the way recruits look at schools. No. Notre Dame was the number one choice for a lot of people 30 years ago. It's just not. It's just, it, it's, again, I, I'll go back. If you're a top 50 player in the country, you're going to be less inclined to choose Notre Dame because, because going somewhere else is the path of least resistance. To that other fan's point, though, Clemson was not the number one destination for anybody six years ago. Clemson was not a program you have to go to over Notre Dame six years ago I don't think maybe six years is maybe the wrong that was 2014 no. yeah I mean it was it was 2015 Notre yeah. Dame, Clemson became Clemson when it stuffed Notre Dame at the goal line that was like the beginning of them being like a big 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 deal um but, but, and, that but would it's be, like if you've seen be, it happen before you'd be even if it happened 30 years ago you're gonna be like 
this can happen again if like all the pieces is, are in the right spot and like you know you have a great recruiter as a head coach and the administration committed all the tropes that you see on message board i under, i just i'm not saying that it will happen or it's likely to happen i just understand why people could say that it could I'm not saying Notre Dame can't compete for national titles. They're just in the playoffs. I'm not saying that Notre Dame can't be an upper echelon program. My question was, why would you think that they can recruit at the same level as the, as those other schools? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't I get, think in volume they will, but I mean, you, look, I, I, put it this way, Tim, if they got Trevor Lawrence instead of Ian Book and they played in that game and it was Kelly Harper versus, that was his name, right? Kelly Harper? Kelly, Kelly, Bryant. Kelly, Kelly Bryant versus Trevor Lawrence of Notre Dame. I don't mind that game. I mean, they probably don't win, yeah, but I, I don't mind that game, right? I, mean, you get I, so, it's a, I totally hear where you're coming from because Lou Holtz did it. I, I, I mean, Lou Holtz brought those players in. I, I get that. Um, you, better find a, you better find a Hall of Fame coach, a no-doubt-about-it Hall of Fame coach, upper echelon coach. Yeah, that's um, what they're dealing against with, uh, with Nick Saban, Dabo Nancy, Sweeney, and the leftovers of the Urban Meyer Right, and then you mentioned Clemson wasn't there six years ago. Well, but, okay, it could be South Carolina, or it could be UCLA again, or it could be, you know, I mean, none of those schools are, none of those schools function under the same capacity that Notre Dame does. I mean, I I, I know I'm sounding like a old-timer saying Notre Dame restrictions, and you're just not going to get as many top 50 players to choose Notre Dame. I agree they will not collect like Ohio State and Alabama yeah. collect. But right, maybe the have, most important guy to get is the guy they got to get. Yeah. We have run on long here, but that's because we haven't done a podcast for a while. <laughs> and uh, not exactly sure when we'll do the next one. It'll be soon, as soon as possible, when you have some more news on uh, maybe some Nording recruiting and maybe what's going to happen this summer and this fall as that starts to evolve. We appreciate you joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.